Well, good morning. If you don't know me, my name is Rick. I'm the, one of the pastors here. It is good to be with you this morning. Oh, oh don't take that one. Thank you. I wouldn't know what to do. I have nowhere to put my stuff. I'm not one of those hold your Bible preachers. Um, there are those, but I'm not one of them. So uh, I do too much with my hands. I'm like, what would I do with this Bible? And Anyway. Hey, uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn it to the book of Galatians. We've been there for the last several weeks. And as we're moving into this time, we, we have been moving through how this early church leader by the name of Paul has been... Um, defending his ministry, what he did, how, what he said, his message, and him personally um, to these churches that were intimately familiar with him because he started these churches. But he had to do so because some other guys had come in and said, Paul, who's this Paul guy? He doesn't really know what he's talking about. Um, you, you can't really follow Jesus. You can't have the Jewish Messiah without being Jewish. And, and so he's, they're kind of teaching all this stuff that he didn't agree with and and so he's, he's been engaging in, the, in this argument, but now he's done defending. He's done. Enough of that. Now it's time to get into actually what the problem is. And so now we're getting into what, what you would call like the main argument of the letter. And the main thing that we get here, what we're, what we're getting at as we move into this time is, if freedom really is following Jesus, how do we do that? How do we follow Jesus? And, and if, if you're a Christian here this morning, then that's, that's a very pertinent question, right? Because you've, you've made this commitment that says that Jesus is Lord of your life. So how do, I, how do I exercise it? How do I live that out? If you're not a Christian here this morning, this is a pretty important question for you too. Because it's, it's, it's like, okay, so what will this mean for me if I were to do this? If I'm to step into this, if I'm to, you know, do the church thing, what, what is this going to mean for me? We all have our ideas. Is it by our tireless efforts, our self-discipline, or is there a different principle to it? That's what we're looking at this morning in Galatians 3, verses 1 to 6. So if you'd stand as uh, we read God's word together, well, technically I'll be reading it, but you read along. As we come to this, I want us to, I want us to recognize this is not something, this, this book and the letters in it is not something the church said, you know what, we'll, we'll take this and not something else. I know that's what a lot of us think. That's not what it is. This is a book that lays claim on us, not the other way around. And so let's hear it in that way. Galatians 3, verses 1 to 6. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you experience so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is God's word given for our flourishing. Pray with me, please. Oh, Jesus, you are so good to us. We can bristle at some of these words, being called foolish. We imagine ourselves in that position, in that church in Galatia. Of course, we don't struggle with those things, Lord. Of course not. But if we did, we can imagine what it would be like to be called foolish. Um, and yet, 
wandering from you is that when all you give us is life? And so I pray that you would open our eyes to see that this morning and open our hearts to receive it, that we might turn away from those things, those, those false saviors, and turn again to you, whether for the first time this morning, may that be, Lord, or for the first time in the last 10 minutes. Be near to us. If you don't, we're wasting our time. We need you to speak, so we ask for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. Okay, so like I said, we are now entering into the main part of this letter. Paul's written to these churches. He's been defending himself. And up to this point, we've been engaging with um, the, what, we, what we're calling Christian theology, the doctrine of justification, okay? That is how you are made right with God, how we can get right with God, which assumes, of course, that left to ourselves, we are not right with God, okay? We'll get to that. So, so far, Paul has been dealing with that, but, and, and, and consistently, what he has argued is that the only thing that makes us right with God is not our morality, nor is it just because um, God's a really nice guy and he kind of overlooks all these things. The only thing that makes us right with God, according to Paul, is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That and that alone, right? Remember that? We, we've, we've covered that. Um, if, if, you're, if you're a Christian here this morning, you you know, that, that probably sounds normal. Um, now, though, he moves into what another Christian doctrine, especially with this passage, what we would call sanctification, okay? Justification is how we're made right with God. Sanctification is that process by which we become more and more like Jesus. How does that happen? Now, if you're not a Christian here this morning, you're probably like, I don't care. And yeah, I get it. But let me put it in a way that probably will matter to you then. How do we change? How is it, Christian or not, how is it that you actually truly change? Not just kind of like white knuckle it, get my New Year's resolutions out, I gotta at least make it to March, right? How do we really change? How do we go from here is what I've wrestled with to hear is, I'm, I'm not there anymore. Paul's argument here will be that the principle for the Christian life is no different than how you enter it in the first place. It's the gospel of Jesus. It's the gospel of Jesus. So if you're an outliner or you're a note taker, there's an outline there in your um, worship guide. I'm still getting used to that. All right, worship guide. Anyway, let's, let's start with the issue of being bewitched. Look down at verse 1, because I, I love the way Paul starts this, because he does this in a couple of different places in his letters. Jesus does it too, so let's not just pretend it's just Paul. But it really hits at our idol of niceness, right? That you, Christians, you just, everyone's got to be nice. Uh, and he says, I mean, he, Paul got in Peter's face, but this is worse. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Okay, now we don't use that kind of language anymore, but... Let's imagine that we did. Can you hear his exasperation? Like, the, these, are, these are people that he was not unfamiliar with. Many of them he would have counted as his friends. And he's saying like, ah, fools. What is going on? Right? And, and there's only really two places in Paul's letters where you hear language like this. 
One of them is right here, and the other is one of his other letters that he wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You can look there later, but let me give you the skinny on why he was so exasperated then. Because you had a dude in the congregation, everyone was celebrating because he was sleeping with his stepmom. Right? I know, Bible's not supposed to talk about that. It does. And that was a problem. And everyone was like, isn't this great? Doesn't this show the freedom in Christ? And he's like, what is wrong with you? He's doing it here too. Something is terribly wrong and they need to understand what it is. And he describes it with this word bewitched. Now, I am old enough to remember bewitched. I know. Um, I do remember it, okay? The, the winking, winking witch and Darren. Um, so I get that. Those of you who are not, you can YouTube it later. It, it was... It was, I mean, it was not very good, but it was a TV show. Anyway, but we don't use this kind of concept of witchcraft as much in our culture. It's making a comeback, but we don't make use of it as much. But let me help you understand what he means by this. In the ancient world, magic, um, like I know Glinda said, are you a good witch or a bad witch? That, that wasn't the thing. Like magic was about manipulating the gods or the powers, whatever you want to say, to be able to get what you wanted. Magic was trying to manipulate these, these gods. Now, of course, in the Bible, and Paul would argue, that these so-called gods aren't actually gods. They're actually um, demons play-acting. And so basically what he's saying is whatever is going on, it has this flair of the demonic. Ah, okay. So now again, some of us are like, this, come on, this is just ancient people being stupid. Let me, let me help you understand, again, what the Bible would understand as being demonic. What we're not talking about is a horror movie and some dude with horns or making some girl's head spin around and vomit on everyone. What we're talking about, when it comes to the demonic, when it comes to this, this, this person the Bible does talk about called Satan and, and those spiritual forces of wickedness, as Paul calls them, their goal is not to make you afraid, necessarily. It is to draw you away from Jesus, to draw your attention away from Jesus to other things. And there's a bunch of different ways we can do that, right? Maybe it's, maybe it's the scary stuff that does that. In some cultures, I think that, that is still going on. In our culture, in the Galatians culture, maybe not. In fact, Paul says that what's going on with you, what is happening, is drawing you away from Jesus. It's that kind of like witchcraft type stuff going on. So he's basically saying... These fools, like, who has messed you up? Who, are, who is pulling you from Jesus? Okay? And he finishes this statement with what is a root issue. Okay, keep reading in verse 1. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. All right, now that, that can be a little confusing because this is southern Turkey. Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem. This is 15 years after Jesus was crucified, at least 15 years after Jesus was crucified. So, so what's actually going on? Well, I'll be honest with you. The first time I read this when I was like a brand new Christian, I was 18 years old in, uh, I won't say when, but at James Madison University in Virginia. And I'm at JMU and I read this. And the image that came to my mind was that of like the passion play. You ever seen this is when churches put on the, 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 um, like the story of Easter and there's, there's always some white dude with long, dark, curly hair playing Jesus and then he's hanging on the cross in like a cloth diaper. Weird. But... That was always what came to my mind, but because it's like we portrayed Christ to you as crucified. Doesn't, isn't that what it's talking about? Actually, no, okay? That word that we translate publicly portrayed means clearly shown, clearly argued for, something that was beyond dispute, clearly depicted to you. And so what was clearly depicted 
Paul says, was Jesus' crucifixion. Now, what he means by that is probably not the crucifixion as an event. That is, I mean, that's important, and we'll get to that in a second. But what, he, what he's talking about is the crucifixion as God's answer to what separates us from God. In other words, what Paul is saying is, what has happened to you guys? Someone has messed you up. Someone is pulling you away from Jesus, even though we clearly communicated to you that Jesus was the answer to our problem. We clearly communicated to you the gospel. Now, before we need to move, move off of this, we need to be clear on two things. And first is hinting at what I just said. The crucifixion of Jesus is not simply a historic event. It is that. If it's not that, it's nothing, okay? And I know that's, again, college Bible classes and stuff will be like, oh, it was the experience of the believer, or the experience of the disciples was his resurrection. Like, no, no, no. Resurrection means dead to life. Like, it's not, there's no other, no other definition of this in the Jewish mindset. So, it, it was a historic event. If it wasn't that, it's nothing. But, it's not just that. What Paul means is not just Jesus dying on a cross. If that were all that meant, it would be tragic but not that unusual. Paul is talking about Jesus dying in the place of sinners, bearing the judgment of God, not just of Rome, due for our sin. Breaking the power of sin and death and then offering a gift freely to any and all who would come to place their faith, their trust, not in their own efforts, but in Jesus alone. And that is the gospel, right? We've been over that over time and time again. Jesus and Jesus alone secures our place before God. Jesus and Jesus alone deals with our sin and brokenness, and without him we are lost, okay? Just need to make sure we're all on the same page. Again, you may not believe that. That's okay. I just, I just need you to know that, like, that's what this says. All right, secondly, though, Paul is saying that whatever is happening, which we're going to get to a second, whatever else is happening, the, the crux of it is this is a gospel issue. This isn't a secondary issue. This isn't something else. This is a gospel problem. The problem is that they have left or are leaving the gospel. His exasperation comes from the fact that they should know better because the gospel is clear. It was clear to them. Okay? So that's really important as we get to the two questions he's about to answer or ask. We need to understand that he sees this as not a subsequent issue to the gospel, but it's a problem with their understanding of the gospel. Okay? All right. Now let's get to those, uh, those questions now in a confused path. Look down at verses 2 and 3. Paul has two main questions that he asks to flesh out this problem. The first is in verses 2 to 3. He says this, this one thing I want to know from you. I love that. He's like, just tell me one thing. Just tell me this. I get He's so grumpy. This is great. Tell me this. Was it out of works of the law that you received the Spirit or out of the hearing of faith? Okay? Now, we need to be clear on this before we move on. So, when Paul says the Spirit, you need to be very clear, Paul means the Holy Spirit, right? And and for those of you who aren't familiar with this, the the Christian understanding of God is that God is in one, one being in three persons, Right? Um, one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One what and three who's, not three gods, okay? And not one God in three different manifestations, okay? But one God in three persons, complexity within the unity, okay? Now, when you become a Christian, when you turn from your own attempts to make yourself right before God or turn from your just ignoring him as completely as you can, 
and instead place your faith in Jesus, the New Testament tells us the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, comes and dwells in us, right? Takes up residence in us and unites us to Jesus. So when Paul says, did you receive the Spirit, what he means is, did you become a Christian? When you became a Christian, he says, did you do so by works of the law or by the hearing with faith? Now, we got to get into that. Now, works of the law is a technical term. Scholars, I'll be honest with you, are somewhat um, divided on exactly what it means. I think at the end of the day, it's more of an academic issue because it kind of comes down to the same conclusion. But on the one side, you have some scholars who are like, um, this, this, this means keeping the whole law. And by law, we mean like the Mosaic law. You find that in, in um, um, Exodus, Leviticus, um, some in Numbers, and then in Deuteronomy, right? So there's, there's this whole mosaic, this, when I say mosaic means came under Moses, this whole mosaic economy. And, and, and so some would say this means trying to earn your um, rightness before God by keeping the rules as best you can, okay? Or really keeping it all. Others would say, no, 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 this refers to specific parts of God's law that were seen as boundary markers. And what I mean by boundary markers, I mean things that separate God's people from the people, from other people. That would be things like circumcision, dietary laws, you know, you can only eat this kind of fish and not this kind of fish, and maybe you've read those, Um, and, and keeping the Sabbath, things like that. Either way, the point is the same. What he's talking about is through your actions. What is it that made you a Christian? What is it that made you one with Christ? What is it that made you, first and foremost, receive the Spirit of God, reconcile you to him? Was it something you did? Or was it the hearing of faith? Now, this hearing of faith is set in parallel to that, right? What it means is hearing accompanied by faith. And that refers back to that public portrayal he was talking about, right? So stay with me. What Paul is saying is, did you become a Christian by what you did or by what you believed? Was it by what you accomplished or was it by believing and trusting in what Jesus had accomplished? Tell me. You just tell me. Which one is it? Now, he's expecting a certain answer. It's a really easy answer. And for most of us in this room, that's a super easy answer, right? We go, I mean, yeah. Jesus and Jesus alone. I've been on board with that the whole time. Paul's entire message up to this point has been that that is the gospel of Jesus, that there's nothing we can do to earn our way to God, that there's purely out of God's grace, that we are reconciled to him through faith in what Jesus did. Okay? And you're like, Rick, you've been saying this for week after week. I know. Just here it comes. Verse 3. Are you now so foolish Having begun by the Spirit, are you now seeking to complete yourselves in the flesh? Okay, what does that mean? So in the first sentence, you have, you have um, works of the law, hearing of faith, set in contrast to one another, right? Here you have spirit and flesh. Now, woo, loaded terms, because when, in our culture, when we think of something that's spiritual, we think of something that's kind of inwardly transcendent, Right? Like a spiritual person is someone who seems to have some kind of deep inner calm. It's not what it means in the Bible, okay? And when we think of the word flesh, we think, ugh, something that has to do with our bodies. Generally something sexual, okay? That when we talk about fleshly things, that's fleshly passions, fleshly pleasures. That's what we're talking about, right? Again, 
Not what the Bible's talking about. Can it include that? Yeah, but it's not what it's talking about. In the Bible, in the New Testament especially, something that is spiritual is that which is empowered and enabled by the Spirit of God. Okay? You and I have a soul, but the Spirit that makes us spiritual is not ours. It's the Holy Spirit. The flesh... That is set in contrast to that. That is that which is empowered and motivated purely by us, independently of God. You with me? So spiritual, what makes you spiritual is something that is, that is empowered, enabled, and, and driven by God, the Holy Spirit. Something that is empowered by the flesh is something we do on our own, apart from him. And so what Paul is saying is, you began by the Spirit, right? Spirit united you to Jesus. The Holy Spirit reconciles, like saves you, connects you to Jesus whose work saves you. you. You started there. Why are you now trying to complete your Christian life in your own efforts? Whew. All right, so what does that mean? Well, can I tell you, I, I would expect that's actually not all that unfamiliar to us. Because my guess is, is that most of us in our Christian life believe that's exactly how it's supposed to work, right? I get in by believing the gospel, and then I grow by relentlessly applying biblical principles to my life. Hmm. Where is he going with this? See, this is kind of the notion we are, we're, we're justified, we're made right with God by faith, but we're kind of sanctified, we grow in our faith, by our own efforts. We enter the Christian life by believing the gospel. We continue it by the application of biblical principles. Maybe you're like, I don't believe a lick of what he's saying right now. Let me give you some for instances. Maybe you've been a Christian a while and suddenly you realize, whether it's because you realize or someone realized it for you, you've got an issue with gossip. And now I know we're like, so benign. Actually, can I tell you something? There are more examples, both biblical and, and outside of the Bible, real-life examples like from today, of that one issue tearing down communities of faith than almost any that I can think of. But let's say, for example, either you've realized or someone realized it for you that you struggle with gossip. And so what you do is you set up a plan. I've got a plan for this. You know what I'm going to do? I got to get my tongue under control. So what I'm going to do is I am only going to speak well of people from here on out. I have a plan for this. I've got someone who's holding me accountable so that when I do it, you know what's even better? When I do it, when I don't do it, I'm going to have to put a dollar in a jar. That'll stop me. And I'm just, I'll have to go put a dollar in a jar and, and then I'll give that to Thrive Orlando. Won't be a dollar though. It'll, you know. Or let's say not, it's not that. Maybe you've been convicted of your anger issues. And so what you do is you put together a plan on here's how I'm going to not be angry anymore. Here's how I'm, gonna, I'm going to um, walk away before I get too flustered. Here's how I'm going to, you know, when I'm driving, I'm going to breathe when that person cuts me off, when I'm trying just to get under the 408 and they just run in front of me. I'm just serenity now. Young ones, you can YouTube that too. <laughs> or, my favorite. Or, no, that, that, 
Let's say you've noticed, um, or someone's noticed for you, your eyes are lingering too long on people of the opposite sex. And so what you do is you've come up with a plan. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to avert my eyes. I'm going to, here's, the, here's the term. I'm going to bounce my gaze. Boing, boing. And you start doing it so much, you look like you have a facial tick. <laughs> but it's, you know what? I've just got to, I've got to keep this going. Or, and this one is my favorite, I'm struggling with whatever habitual sin, and so I just need to spend more time in the Bible and prayer. That will fix me. I just need to do this. And Paul is saying, listen to me, and I'm not, we'll get to the fact that Rick, Rick is not saying that these things in general are bad, but listen to me. Paul is saying, you didn't enter the Christian life by figuring it out yourself. Why are you trying to continue in it in that way? That word that he says, he says you're now trying to be completed, that's, that's the word that... Um, we, in, in, in the original, it, it gives the sense of the end goal. In other words, you are trying your, desperately, you're trying your hardest to reach the end goal on your own. Why do you think that's the way to continue in it? Now again, I know some of us are like, where is he going? Stay with me. Stay with me. Then he talks about experience and power. Look down at verses four to five. Paul says, have you experienced, I know the ESV says suffered, but it can mean both. Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works mighty deeds among you is that by works of the law by hearing of faith. Okay. What is he talking about when he means experiences? Well, if you're curious, you can go this afternoon and read it in the book of Acts, which is turn to your left a little bit in the Bible and you'll, you'll get to the book of Acts. It's in the New Testament, chapters 13 and 14, because it is the account of Paul planting these churches. Okay, let me run through it. In the city of Pisidian Antioch, Paul preached, and nearly, according to Luke, nearly the entire town came out to hear him. Okay? Nearly the entire town came to hear him, and many of them believed. In Iconium, a great number of Jews and Greeks believed, and God performed miracles to confirm their message. In the city of Lystra, Paul um, healed someone who was, who was crippled, like couldn't walk. They drug him out of the city and stoned him till he died, and then he got up and walked back in the city because he wasn't done yet. That's different. And then Derbe, many disciples were made. Now, here's why this matters. Because all of these were cities where the vast, vast, vast majority of the people there, not only were they not believers in Jesus, they had no knowledge of the God of the Bible at all. There was no pre-evangelism that had gone on. There was nothing. They, had, they shared no common ground with the biblical worldview. They had shared nothing with Paul's understanding of things. And all of a sudden, they're all believing. How does that happen? How does that happen? Paul says, did you do something to get the Spirit to show up for you? Do you do the right things and suddenly people get healed and come to faith? And the expected answer again is no. No, of course not. Now, I know that's hard for some of us because some of you right now are arguing with me and you're saying, Rick, but doesn't God bless us if we're obedient? In a sense, yes, but if what you mean by that is, won't God give me what I want if I'm good, then the answer is no, he's not your Coke machine. That is not the way God works. If you're using God to get something else and trying to be good so that he'll give you X, whether that X is good kids, a good job, enough money, whatever, you're not worshiping God, you're worshiping the thing you're trying to get from him. That is not what we're talking about. 
God works through faith, and here's why. You and I were designed to be in a dependent relationship with him, okay? Dependent relationship. To trust in him, to lay our hopes and our lives on him. And, and when we do the, I, I need to do X so that I can get Y from God, which frankly is probably what many of us grew up with in churches, right? Because that's the way most religion works. Faith isn't isn't happening. It is my actions do this so that I can get him to do that. That's called magic, according to the Bible. Faith is something else, okay? It's not us taking control. It doesn't mean that faith is inactive. It's not inactive, but it is dependent. <laughs> it's dependent. Doing something to get God to show up is not, is, is not faith. It isn't trusting him. It's thinking you know how to manipulate God to get what you want. And Paul says that is not in line with the gospel. God works when we abandon our attempts to be independent from him, when we abandon our attempts to determine what is best for us and instead live by faith. Now, that probably raises, I've probably raised more questions than answers at this point. So let me take a few minutes and try and flesh this out first by digging into the why. Okay, think with me. Paul is saying that the issue in Galatia, the issue in this southern region of Turkey, is that their fleshy effort shouldn't have happened because Paul clearly portrayed the gospel, Christ crucified. In other words, Jesus was shown as your Savior. The whole fleshy thing doesn't make sense because Jesus was shown as your Savior. So that means that Paul sees that their efforts, what their efforts are doing is betraying that they are actually looking towards a different Savior. If they were looking to Jesus, he says this, this wouldn't have happened. Here's what I mean. Let's go back to the gossip issue, right? Gossip is a behavior. We can all agree on that, I think. It's something we do. It's a behavior we, we do. But Jesus tells us that all of our behaviors flow out of our hearts. That it's out of the heart that all of these bad things, that he lists a bunch of them, he's like, all of these bad things, the, everything that makes you unclean, Jesus says, that doesn't come from stuff you eat, it comes from out of here. All these behaviors you hate, they come from your heart. So if we seek to change a behavior without addressing what's going on in the heart, at best, at best, we're playing spiritual whack-a-mole. We hit the one behavior down over here, pops up over here. You know, that's it's all that happens. The same problem is going to show up in a different behavior. So the question needs to be asked. And the question that I think we would need to ask this morning is, why do we do what we do? Why do you do what you do? If you struggle with gossip, why? Do, why? why do you feel the need to do that? And I don't ask that in a shaming way. It's a generally curious way. Like, what is it about that? That seems to you like it's worth it. Like it's worth it. Could it be that you're looking to your reputation to make you right, to save you, to give you value, and the easiest way to keep your reputation good is by making sure that you can keep the ones of others down a little lower? Could it be that you like the position of power that gossip gives you because power makes you feel right and keeps you feeling safe? If you struggled with anger, 
Have you ever asked why? Like, listen, I know that road rage is something that happens, but you know there are people that can drive in traffic and not blow a gasket. So why is it that you can't? Why is it that when one of your kids challenges something you said, it's like nuclear war, and your best you can do is go, listen, I need to walk away right now. Give me five minutes. Which is better. Let's all be clear. Like, that's better. But how does change happen? Could it be that when others don't act the way you want or your life doesn't go the way you think it should, you get angry because you think you deserve better? I mean, you've done the right things, right? You've done it right. God owes you. Your family owes you. A dude in the white Volvo owes you. They owe you. Your Coke machine hasn't worked. You get angry. I put my quarter in. How many times do I got to push this button? If you struggle with lust, man or woman, listen, that's not a, that's not a gender-specific struggle. Could it be that you find it safer to use people than to be known by them because you're terrified of what people will do with you if they actually know you? You're like, what? I'm about to tell a dirty little secret. I'm going to tell you a secret. You want to know why? why let, let, listen, I'm, I'm a dude, so I can only speak from a dude's perspective. Let me tell you, you, you want to know why dudes struggle with lust? I know that what we've been taught, what we've been taught is, you know, men are this way because they've been built more sexual and they've been da 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 No, no, no. That, I mean, is that true to an extent? But let me help you understand why this is a problem. This is a problem because we were created to offer our strength to the world and have it be received without thorns and thistles. But in a post-Genesis 3 world, when we do that, we are met with futility. You realize, ladies, let me just, you realize that every guy in this room, when engaging with you relationally, finds there to be more chaos than they know what to do with. Yeah, I'm not being, I'm not being funny. I know it's a little funny. But it's like, I don't know who I'm dealing with right now. This person is so utterly unpredictable. And come on, it's okay. We can laugh about that. You know it's true. And so we go, one day we say, honey, let me get the door for you. And you go, thank you. And the next day we say, honey, let me get the door for you. And like, I can do it myself. Like, what? What did I do? Like, I don't, I don't know. And so we offer our strength to the world, and all of a sudden it gets rejected. You know what's easier? Living in a fantasy where no one ever rejects you. You want to know why guys are hooked on video games and porn? There it is. I can live in a world where I can have a cheat code and I never lose. And when I do, I just respawn. And I can, I can be, I can imagine myself with people who will never say no, who will never reject me, who always think everything I do is awesome. And it's all fake but it's easy. Do you honestly think bouncing your eyes is going to fix that? So long as you view people as objects, you can keep them at a distance and have some fantasy world where others want you and want to be with you without having you to risk anything. And in all of these ways, in all of these things, we are looking to these behaviors to make us right. No, it doesn't all deal with guilt. Some of it deals with 
our need for safety. Some of it deals with our need for satisfaction, but it's all trying to make us right, which means that all of these things are functional saviors. If I have a good reputation, if I get what I think I deserve, if people never reject me and I'm always this, this bastion of awesomeness, then I will be right. Life will be right for me. Listen to me. They can't save you. It's never enough. It's never enough. And it never satisfies. And it will never be enough for you. And so if you're a Christian this morning, Paul is speaking to you right now. You believe the gospel, that Jesus is your Savior. Awesome. Then why are you trying to be saved through your flesh? Well, great, Rick. So, so then what? How do we change then? Because you see, so many of us think of we, there's only two options. Work hard or do nothing. Like, those are the options, right? It's either work my tail off or God doesn't really care. And listen, those are the two sides of the horse that we always fall off on. Churches do it too. You got churches that are like, they're work hard churches. And you got churches that are like, God doesn't care churches. He loves you. It's sloppy agape. We're just going to hang out over here. It's like, this is, this is what we do. But it's not faith or action. That's a false dichotomy. Paul's issue is not with the works that they are doing. Paul did those things, right? In a few, in, in a few weeks, we're going to start hitting, he's going to be talking about the C word, right? He's going to be talking about circumcision. And I'm going to have to explain why he's talking about that, because who talks about that? Paul does, okay? But listen, he's going he's gonna to go at them and he's going to say, if you allow yourself to be circumcised, Jesus is of no use to you. Unless your name is Timothy and we need to get in with Jewish people and then I'm going to make sure that you're circumcised. The issue is not with the action. The issue is the, the motive behind the action. His issue is not that you're doing this. He did ceremonial things. It's why you're doing them. We don't become Christians through the gospel and then vigorously apply biblical principles to our lives. We become Christians through the gospel and then we spend our lives applying the gospel to our lives. Here's what I mean. Instead of just trying really hard to stop gossiping, how about we begin by believing the gospel? Here's what I mean. Your reputation cannot save you. You are broken, just like me. But Jesus loved you. And he gave himself for you so that before God, you have Jesus' reputation. You have his record. And there's nothing that anyone else's good reputation around you can do to challenge that. You don't need to turn theirs against them. There's nothing. Yours, yes, your reputation is not good enough. You're right. And neither is theirs. But Jesus's is. You can repent of the problem is not that I gossip. The problem is my unbelief in the gospel, first and foremost. And then that I gossip because of it. You're angry. I get it. Trying hard to be angry, can I that is not going to help. All it's going to do is make you angrier. Because then you're going to be angry at yourself. Because you can't stop being angry. But maybe seeing that the only thing we have earned before God is judgment, that even your obedience is full of sinful independence and all of your, all of your um, 
responsible behavior and good choices probably has more to do with the family and situation that you were born in than your awesomeness, and you had no control over that. Maybe that's a gift too. And yet Jesus loved you in your self-righteousness and died for you. You can accept free grace instead of the bargaining chip you have. And if, 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 in your mind, the best you can hope for is using others and being used by others because you're afraid of what they're going to do with you, Jesus knows you. He knows you. He knows what you know. He knows what you don't want others to know. And he knows what you don't even know yet. And he loved you and gave himself for you. He knows you, he loved you, and he died for you. And so from these truths, then, we can move out. Repent of the behaviors of serving our false saviors. It isn't faith versus action. It's action coming from faith versus action coming from unbelief. It's works coming from the gospel versus works coming from our independence. Do you see that? We begin by repenting of the unbelief. Asking Jesus, please give me, give me repentance that I would place my faith in, in, in your reputation and not in mine. And then we go not gossip. Then we're not playing spiritual whack-a-mole. Then we're dealing with the heart and not just the behavior. It's not an either or. Friends, the gospel is the Christian life. It's not just one point in it. It's not just the beginning of it. It's all of it. It is the Christian life. It is the starting point and it is the way in which we live it. It it is through the gospel that we have true freedom because in it, God's grace has provided for every one of our needs, including our need for change. Would you pray with me? Lord, help us believe. We do believe, but help our unbelief. May the cry of that father the desperation of that father wanting so much to find healing for his son be true of us as well. Wanting so much to find healing for our own broken hearts. Give us repentance. Whatever is ailing us today. I just mentioned three possibilities. There's a bazillion more. Help us to see why we do it, to repent of that. And try and seek change from there instead of just trying to white-knuckle our behavior so we look good on the outside. Help us to do this, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.